Welcome back to the London Futurist Podcast. The launch of GPT-4 on the 14th of March this year was shocking as well as exciting. ChatGPT had been released the previous November and became the fastest growing app ever. But GPT-4's capabilities were a level beyond, and it provoked remarkable comments from people who had previously said little about the future of AI. In May, Britain's Prime Minister Rishi Sunak described superintelligence as an existential risk to humanity. A year ago, it would have been inconceivable for the leader of a major country to say such a thing. The following month, in June, Sunak announced that a global summit on AI safety would be held in November at the historically resonant venue of Bletchley Park, the stately home where during World War II, Alan Turing and others cracked the German Enigma code and probably shortened the war by many months. Despite the fact that AI is increasingly humanity's most powerful technology, there's not yet an established forum for world leaders to discuss its longer-term impacts, including accelerating automation, extended longevity, and the awesome prospect of superintelligence. The world needs its leaders to engage in a clear-eyed, honest, and well-informed discussion of these things. The summit is scheduled for the 1st and 2nd of November, and Matt Clifford, the CEO of the high-profile VC firm Entrepreneur First, has taken a sabbatical to help prepare it. To help us all understand what the summit might achieve, David and I are delighted to welcome Ollie Buckley to the podcast. Ollie studied PPE at Oxford and was later a policy fellow at Cambridge. After six years as a strategy consultant with Monitor, he spent a decade as a civil servant, developing digital technology policy in the Cabinet Office and elsewhere. Crucially, from 2018 to 21, he was the founding executive director of the UK government's original AI governance advisory body, the Centre for Data Ethics and Innovation, CDEI where he led some of the original policy development regarding the regulation of AI and data-driven technologies. Since then, he's been advising tech companies, civil society, and international organizations on AI policy as a consultant. Ollie, welcome to the London Futurist podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Delighted to be here. It's a pleasure to meet you, Ollie. So, Ollie, let's start with the summit's aims. What exactly is the Prime Minister hoping to achieve? I think you can probably look at this on a couple of different levels. There's the political objective, and then there's some of the substance that I think they might hope will come out of the event. At a political level, I think this is really about burnishing the UK's credentials as the leading centre for AI outside of the US and China. I think there's an element of showing why post-Brexit, we can think nimbly and in a faster, more pro-innovation way, perhaps, than colleagues on the other side of the channel in the EU. And, you know, it's a subject which arguably plays to the Prime Minister's strengths. He's a relatively young leader. He spent time on the West Coast of the US. He gets this. And he's close to some of the people in the tech industry. So if he is looking also to establish some sense of himself as a emerging global statesman, then this isn't a bad subject for him to choose to focus on. And let's face it, it is just one of the biggest, sexiest topics in town in geopolitics to be talking about. 
at a kind of substance level, the government has set out five broad objectives for the event itself. They're hoping that coming out of these two days, they'll be able to talk about agreeing a shared understanding of the risks of frontier AI systems and their relative priority. To have something to say about the forward process, how this conversation continues. They're also going to talk about some of the measures that individual organizations, and this is particularly the AI labs that are operating at the cutting edge, what measures could they be taking, should they be taking to increase safety. There's also conversations about collaboration at an international level on AI safety research. And then finally, they're also hoping to showcase some of what getting this right could mean in terms of benefits, what enabling AI to be used for good might achieve. That all sounds very laudable, and it'll be interesting to see how much of that actually transpires. When Sunak first announced the summit, the international response was lukewarm, is fair to say. There were, among other things, concerns that it would clash with a G7 meeting the same month. After that, it was boosted by some helpful comments by a number of tech leaders. But more recently, Matt Clifford, the man who's on sabbatical helping Sunak arrange it, has been downplaying the idea that an AI safety institute might be established. From your contacts and your conversations, what's the mood music like now? Do you think the summit will turn out to be a significant event? I think it still very much has the potential to. I think that the timing is such that the UK is convening the most significant players at a moment when this set of issues and conversations is really ripe to be explored. And it's been controversial and high risk. But I think that in deciding to focus it as ruthlessly as they are doing on frontier AI and really dealing with the most extreme risks, and in also choosing to make it a remarkably small event for a global summit, they're talking about a maximum of about 150 attendees on the first day and maybe as few as 30 on the second, not even a particularly big wedding, (laughs) never mind global summit. But by choosing to focus in that way, they are giving themselves the best opportunity to actually reach agreement and make progress. When it comes to the AI Safety Institute, there's been a lot of conversation prior to the summit about When we talk about the need for new institutions to govern AI, what are we talking about here? Are we talking about something that looks like the International Atomic Energy Agency or weapons controls? Or are we talking about something that looks more like CERN, which is really about research rather than regulation? And where we seem to see things headed is that it's more towards that latter kind of conception this research-focused organization. And I think that the logic for that is that that is probably an easier thing to get others potentially to sign up to. 
there are more permutations and gradations of how involved others need to be in an initiative like that to make it international. I think the fact that Matt Clifford has been downplaying the prospects of agreeing something truly international in that space, I would take that with a pinch of salt. On the one hand, they have set themselves an enormous challenge in getting from announcing a summit in June to hosting it at the beginning of November. Kind of got the sense that the summer wasn't that productive and that really it's been since September that the real work has been getting underway. So it's always going to be an enormous challenge to reach agreements at an international level in such a short time frame. But remember, this government has made a virtue of downplaying expectations and then hoping to exceed them. This sort of reads from the playbook, I think, that the government has been pursuing so far. They may yet hope to pull a rabbit out of the hat come November. Can we explore the difference between day one and day two? Day one's got, I believe, political representatives from quite a few countries around the world and some tech company leaders and some leaders of a few non-governmental organizations. How will the day two process be worked out? I've heard it described as the coalition of the willing. Those who are prepared to say something must be done will be there on day two and everybody else goes off sightseeing in Milton Keynes or something. (laughs) How do you see it? That is probably a reasonable summary of how we might expect things to go down. As you say, day one, what I've been hearing is that actually that's going to look potentially like a pretty even split between representatives from government, from industry and civil society. It's notable because the early announcements and information around the summit made very little mention of civil society and there was a lot of concern that actually this was just going to be a sort of closed door conversation between a very small number of very rich and powerful tech executives and government counterparts and that we would miss the bigger picture and miss the really important perspectives and issues that come from wider society and also wider business. I mean, this is the other thing. And of course, a lot of businesses have felt concerned about the really narrow focus on the frontier AI labs. So there's been a real concerted effort, I think, to make sure that day one really broadens out the participation. But as ever, there is a trade-off between how many people you invite to sit around the table and your prospects of reaching meaningful agreement and fully aligning. So I think that we can expect the first day to focus more on some of those higher level objectives. So thinking about, can we agree on the taxonomy of risks and a kind of rough sense of prioritization? What might a forward process look like? And for my money, I think actually that second objective maybe ultimately might prove one of the most important, because that potentially sets the scene for how this conversation develops going forward. I think that then 
the second day is likely to be more in the nitty gritty. We've talked about those measures which individual organizations should take. They're not starting with a blank sheet of paper there. The White House has been convening AI labs over the last couple of months to agree some voluntary principles. I think what they're likely to be looking at on day two is can we put some teeth behind those? Can we make them more granular and can we be clearer about how we're really going to hold the companies to account? You obviously can't get from voluntary to something that's in law or in regulation in an afternoon. But I think that articulating the direction of travel on that stuff and really trying to pin the companies down will be what day two is likely to be more about. It strikes me there's three ways this event could go, three things it could try to achieve, really. One, which you referred to, is to create some sort of a CERN-like entity. But that would just be to replicate what OpenAI is doing and Google DeepMind is doing and increasingly Amazon is doing with Anthropic. All the big tech companies are setting up AGI labs. And there's really no point trying to do that because governments, certainly the British government, just doesn't have the money. OpenAI reputedly spent $100 billion training GPT-4. UK government doesn't have the money to do that. So that doesn't seem like a very good idea. The second thing that it might end up doing is trying to regulate or draw a framework for regulation of AI in the shorter term, what David and I tend to call responsible AI, how frontier models should be used today and in the next two or three years. And again, that's already being done. The EU's got the AI Act, which is imperfect, but it's probably the right sort of approach, the risk-based approach. The Americans, as you say, haven't got anything as formal, but they are deep into conversations with the tech giants. And after all, most of the tech giants are based there. And the Chinese also are a long way ahead in thinking about how to regulate these large language models. So again, there's not too much point I would have thought replicating that. The white space and the great opportunity, it seems to me, is to start a conversation and not to attempt to achieve any great conclusions yet, but to start a conversation and to start a convening process for conversations about the longer term impacts on AI. Very few people in the political mainstream are brave enough to talk about what happens if and when machines take our jobs, which isn't going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next year or the year after. But in 15, 20 years, it may very well happen. And beyond that, and we have no idea how far beyond that, there's superintelligence. Again, political leaders are not currently talking about superintelligence. It is a massive prospect for humanity. And our leaders should be talking about it. And the UK, as you say, I think you put it very nicely, is trying to burnish its credentials as being the leading power in AI outside the duopoly of the US and China. I mean, you know, if we're honest about it, most cutting edge AI is developed in the US or China and everybody else is a very long way behind. But the UK has got some credentials, you know, uh, Turing. We produce great AI scientists from our universities and so on. We are a long, long way behind the others, but we could convene conversations about those longer term issues, and that would be really valuable. And for a while, it looked like Sunak was going to do that. And my worry is he's going to aim off it because it's too bold, it's too difficult, and you end up with the possibility of looking a bit silly in the media because the media will go, oh, Terminator, you're worried about Terminator again. I hope he doesn't. I hope he does the brave thing. Do you think there's any chance he will? It's interesting because the future of work and job stuff, which is 
probably in the popular consciousness, the thing that people are most concerned about. That's the thing that people can really get to grips with and understand will have potentially a dramatic effect on them and their lives. And of course, partly because they've seen this story playing out over time, what they're looking at is an acceleration of a phenomenon that people have lived through and experienced before. And it is also, frankly, as you say, the one that is politically hardest because governments don't currently have an answer. And it's very hard to think of scenarios where that plays out that don't involve the need to levy very high taxes on some very profitable companies and engage in massive redistribution at a point where the aim of the game is to attract these companies to come and invest here in the UK. And it does look like they're having some early success with that, at least in so far as OpenAI Anthropic have announced that their first international offices will be in the UK rather than elsewhere. You're absolutely right. It's a real political hot potato. You can understand why strategically they're keen to avoid getting too far into that conversation right now. When it comes to the Terminator piece, I think that some would argue, I mean, indeed, people are arguing that the UK and the Prime Minister have swallowed that narrative whole. And that actually, in positioning the summit in the way that they have, they're talking about this dramatic and essentially probably very low probability but very high impact scenario to the exclusion of the whole set of issues as you say that sort of more in that responsible ai space that are playing out today just a word on the cern analogy and the safety institute there is another way of conceiving what this might do And that is not to try and compete with what the AI labs are doing by building your own foundation models from scratch, but rather as a center for the expertise required to hold those companies to their commitments and to provide the ability to audit those algorithms that they are producing to test the systems that are coming out of those labs and assess the risks that they pose. Right now, the problem is that all of the expertise required to do that sits within the companies. So the companies are marking their own homework. And I think a version of this is where we put the people that mark the homework. But we need to invest significantly in the capability to do that then it wouldn't be CERN so much as the financial services authority, something like that. It's an imperfect analogy. It is a sort of combination because you do, I think, need to develop, frankly, some intellectual properties, some new approaches to do some hard data science and to attract researchers and data scientists into that organization. So I think it would be quite a research-minded and research-led body Mm -hmm. but with a role that looks 
perhaps more like a regulator than it does a lab. So this sounds a bit like the recommendations I was hearing from Professor Stuart Russell from Berkeley, who I think is one of the leading thinkers on this. He said recently he thinks that the international body, if there is such a thing, could do three tasks. It could coordinate standards. So different countries around the world are doing their own development of regulations. At least they should be talking to each other and saying, well, we're going to try this. And somebody else will say, we're going to try this. Yep. So there should, of course, be national sovereignty, but there's a role for comparing results. Then number two was exactly what you said, the audit role, that there should be an encouragement of being aware of where AI is going wrong. Typically, we often want to cover it up, or companies often want to cover it up. When they have a ransomware disaster, they often don't want to tell people about it because it makes them look stupid. If there are strange results in large language models or other combinations, these should be analyzed and reviewed. And so there's auditing, a bit like the aircraft industry. They have a remarkable record. Whenever something goes wrong, they don't cover it up. They have this black box mechanisms and reviews. An airline company doesn't try and keep that knowledge to itself for its own competitive advantage. There is the culture of sharing. And then third, which I remember that Stuart Russell was saying, is that should be coordinating some AI safety research to ensure that various things are happening, such as testing on a regular basis an off switch. These large systems should have off switches, and a bit like a fire drill. It's a bit of a pain when the fire alarm goes off and you've all got to trudge out of the building, but there should be tests every so often to make sure that some of these systems should be shut down. And goodness knows if that's going to work or not, but that's an example. I guess my question is, are the politicians listening to the likes of Stuart Russell or indeed the Future of Life Institute? Because I think what the Future of Life Institute under Max Tegmark and Jan Tallinn and others, what they have prepared is possibly the best set of recommendations on how this conference could have practical outcomes? The short answer is that, yes, they are listening. The people that they have brought in to advise, you mentioned Matt Clifford, who is focused particularly on the summit. Alongside Entrepreneur First, he also has another sort of day job, which is as chair of ARIA, the Innovation Accelerator. But they've also brought in Ian Hogarth, who is leading the AI task force, which is potentially the prototype or the sort of chrysalis of what may become an AI Safety Institute, or at least being housed there. And people like Ian have been swimming in these waters for some time. They are people who have been absolutely talking to the Stuart Russells and the Future of Life Institutes and others of this world for some time. One of the things that you can take from the fact that Ian Hogarth has been appointed is that he is a true believer. He is a true believer in the risks that AI poses and the need to address them. Yeah. He has spoken out about the existential risk of superintelligence, and he's also got great credentials because he's a very successful AI entrepreneur himself. I keep coming back to the the fact that the white space is in the longer-term AI. If they try to be the FSA for near-term frontier models, then they're just going to overlap with what the 
Europeans are doing, the Americans are doing, the Chinese are doing, and all those groups have got more money, more resources, and they will set up their own auditing operations. There's not really much point replicating that. Sunak, let's be honest, is not going to be prime minister beyond the next election. He's going to be looking for something else to do. There's an opportunity for him to be brave at this point and to set up an ongoing conversation around the long-term future, which we need to be having and we're not having at the moment. Ian Hogarth and others are just the right people to do it. It just looks to me like there's an opportunity to do the right thing here, and it'd be really interesting to see whether they take that opportunity or not. Yes, and I come back to the potential significance of that second objective around what does the forward process look like. Realistically, not least because of the electoral timetable, this has been billed as the first AI summit. The implication is that there will be more to come. Yeah. And I think we should expect that the next one will not be hosted in the UK, that some other country is going to take on the baton. Oh, I don't know. We could behave like the Swiss. The Swiss are really good at making themselves the headquarters for organisations that they're not even a member of. And the UK could do the same thing. On that, I agree with you. And I think that the ideal world scenario from a UK government point of view would be to get people to sign up to an AI Safety Institute headquartered in the UK with massive amounts of international collaboration and co-investment and the agreement of the companies, those leading AI labs, to share to the fullest extent possible what they're doing and opening that to scrutiny for that organisation. I think that is the stretch goal, if you like. The question will be, can we get others to support that? I think the number one item on the five objectives is the right one to start off with. It's what we've been circling around, which is the identification of which risks deserve the most attention. And I think there's more than just two. It's not just today's risks and then the AI taking autonomous control. There are other very serious risks of bad actors misusing very powerful AI. And then there's a very serious risk of good actors in a race and cutting corners and being careless and taking decisions beyond their competence and inflicting unintentionally terrible consequences on our societal infrastructure, our IT systems, or even our health systems, personally. I think that's the most important thing. Once people realize that particular risks aren't just some strange theoretical construct, but the build out of things that have already gone wrong, but could be worse than things that have already gone wrong because of much more powerful AI, it's going to make them sit up and say, let's actually put more effort into this. So I'm glad that's what's starting off. I agree with that. But timing is everything. And people don't really get this. The risks that we face from AI today in the next two or three years are totally and utterly different from the risks that we face from it in a decade or two decades ahead. Less than a decade, if Sam Altman is right, he thinks we're going to have super intelligence by the end of the decade. But don't you think GPT-5 and GPT-6 will throw up in whole new risks that we haven't understood yet? There is that risk. Well, if they're good enough, they'll take us into the next phase where the risks are automation causing widespread massive joblessness, where the risks are really long extended longevity and ultimately superintelligence. Those are the really big risks that are quantitatively different from the risks we face today. And nobody's paying attention to them in an organized way. Certainly no global leaders are. And there's an opportunity, seems to me, for Britain to be established as the locus where the conversation happens, the convener of conversations. 
because we're not the US, we don't have tech giants. We're not China, we don't have tech giants. We're not the EU, we don't have the clout to form the regulations that the rest of the world has to follow because they have to follow them if they want to play in our market. We're outside all of that. We don't have those capabilities, but we could be the place where the conversation happens or the convener of the conversations about the really long-term risks. I agree with you. And I do think that that opportunity is there. I was just going to highlight the interplay between some of the near-term risks that we are seeing play out in real time and our ability as democracies and as nation states to actually come to agreements that can handle and tackle those long-term risks. Really, here I'm talking about the threats to democratic systems and processes and public discourse that we're seeing play out with misinformation, disinformation at scale, the prevalence and increasing prevalence of deep fakes. All of this is undermining the ability of governments to do their jobs effectively, undermining the trust that citizens have and if we can't get on top of those things, then our ability to make the really, really hard decisions is going to be that much harder. We won't get there. That's exactly right. We won't get there. We won't get to solve the long-term problems. But those shorter-term things, the deep fakes and so on, is being tackled by the EU and others. The EU is currently hauling Musk and Meta over the coals over their response to the Hamas atrocities. And so I just don't see the point in the UK trying to become yet another regulator to do that when there's the white space opportunity ahead. Yeah, no, I understand. Final question for me, Oli. Who are the civil society representatives that, as far as you know, are likely to be there? That has been something of a closely guarded secret. It's been challenging to get a clear and definitive list. But I think that what you'll see is it's going to be quite an international contingent. I think that you will see quite a significant representation from civil society organisations in the US. I think some notable campaigners around responsible AI issues, which is interesting because actually quite a lot of those have been more focused on the near-term questions around algorithmic bias and fairness, for example, than the existential risk crowd, though I suspect that they will be there as well, is going to be interesting in light of that, how easy it will be to come to a shared agreement with all the participants about the risks and their relative prioritisation. Because there are two camps here. One camp that says that the existential risk should be our absolute focus because the consequences of getting that wrong is so, well, existential. And then the others that say, that's a distraction. That's just a way of kicking things down the road so that we can ignore the problems that are happening right now. Interestingly, my sense is that both those camps are going to be represented to some degree at Bletchley, rightly so, but it will make getting everybody on the same page a bit more challenging. I would also, just taking a step back, say that the distinction between the two camps, I think, can be overblown. 
there's a lot of common ground potentially that a lot of the steps that you would take to address the near-term risks are also ones that will help with the long-run risks. Yeah. And obviously both categories are important. It's crazy to say that one's important, the other's not. And this is the thing. I've sort of heard this from a colleague recently, which I thought was quite a helpful conception, which is to say, if you care about responsible AI and how this is playing out, it sort of doesn't matter whether you think the extinction risk is the number one thing on the list, the fifth thing on the list, or the tenth thing on the list. In any story, we should be paying attention to it. And so if you accept that, then there isn't necessarily a kind of reason to think that what the UK is doing and how the UK is focusing on this is unhelpful. Some people need to be thinking about it. Including global leaders, which is just not happening at the moment. Including global leaders, yeah. Yeah. Then the question is, where on that list of priorities it should sit? People will inevitably have different views. Can you say if you are taking part yourself? In the summit? Yes. No, I am not. But I'm working with some people that are. Ollie, is that because you're a Cameroon and not a new, what do they call themselves now, a national conservative? Ah, no, I was a civil servant, so totally impartial. And I've served governments of different stripes during my time. But the national conservatives don't see civil servants like that. They think they're all politically motivated. Well, yeah. <laughs> that is a different question. You're right. <laughs> well, thanks very much for joining us. Perhaps afterwards we can bring you back to hear your analysis of what happened or maybe when we're planning a second such conference, we can catch up with you again. That would be great. It's been a very useful discussion. Thank you, Ali. It's been very interesting. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. Cheers. Cheers.